Just a heads up for this episode, we do talk about rape for just a second. We don't dwell on it uh, all that much. But if you want to skip this episode, go ahead and just make sure you're taking care of yourself. We do also talk a bit about white supremacy and racism. So if you're a Nazi or a racist and are into that sort of thing, um, we are not for it. So I don't know why you are listening to this. Uh, just go, go, go on, get. The following is brought to you with no commercial interruptions. Had you, uh, you and April ever sort of butted heads again, uh, against things or something? Is she more on another side than you were or are or anything? Uh, she, she tends to be, she was, she is more moderate politically than I am. So mm-hmm. when I was more conservative, she was more liberal than me. And now that I am more liberal, she is a little bit more conservative than me. <laughs> I like swung past her. But no, where we mostly bump heads and it's not anything like like serious. Or like I don't ever see us getting a divorce. Or we oh, yeah, mostly yeah. bump heads about religious stuff because she is more a biblical literalist, whereas mm-hmm. I am more of a, well, yeah, this is what God wrote in the Bible or whoever wrote in the Bible. But I mean, obviously they didn't know about cell structures and evolutionary theory and you know astrophysics so based on their understanding yeah this is what they would have written but obviously like we know more now and can refine that and there's not a literal dome above the earth that has uh, holes in it or whatever right exactly and uh, like like april's not a flat earther or anything like that like don't get me wrong (laughs) (laughs) no 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 yeah but but there are some scriptural scriptural things where I'm more willing to look at the historiography of a lot of these these sorts of things mm-hmm. and and dig into to that kind of side of it. Whereas April is like, well, no, this is what the Bible says, and that's good enough for me. And it's it's not so much that she's like an ardent liberalist literalist. It's more that she doesn't care enough to dig to go deep. deeper. Yeah, to go deeper than what to the, be nerdy. Yeah, exactly. Even even after I was saved, I was still out in a punk band drinking <laughs> and going on crazy campouts at like at Lake Lahontan. And well, one of the commandments is not "Thou shalt not rock." I mean, come on, right? Exactly. I mean, who? It's is it? Uh, is John the Rock or no? Peter was, was the Rock. Was Peter, Peter. Okay. Yeah, Peter was the rock, (laughs) R-A-W-K. And you, Peter, my disciple, will be the rock that I build this church on. And you, John, will be the roll. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Better Band Podcast, an all-encompassing trip through the Pearl Jam catalog. I'm your host, Brandon Palomo. Each episode, my guest and I go track by track through every album, soundtrack, and single to discover why you simply can't find a better band.
Welcome back to the Better Band Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon, and today the song of the day is Dissident, and my guest of the day is friend of the podcast, Kevin Lassard. Welcome oh. back, Kevin. Holy crap, I'm a friend of a podcast. That is like the the pinnacle of podcast nerd achievement. And you're just doing the jack-off hand motion right now, right? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm legitimately excited. That might be the whiskey, but I am legitimately excited that after years and years of listening to podcasts and writing creepy emails to podcasts, I am a friend of a podcast. Well, your friend, well, maybe I should have said friend of podcaster. Maybe I, I, I overstepped a little bit. Oh, don't take this away from me, Brandon. <laughs> uh, whiskey? What What are you drinking today, tonight, Kevin? I, I am I am drinking from a uh, Christmas gift. It is a bottle of Macallan single malt scotch, an airport bottle of Macallan single malt scotch. Well, is was was it duty free? I assume so. Yeah. I I don't know what duty any. Well, I know what you know, duty is, but I don't know what's <laughs> when there's the duty free shop or whatever, what that is. The, the idea is that when you're in an airport, you're not in any country. So you don't have mm -hmm. to pay tax on anything. Is it like international waters? Yeah. Yeah. Airports are like international waters. <laughs> you, you could okay, have that, like, that, that, that... you could have like horse versus George Foreman fights. <laughs> monkey knife fights yeah exactly <laughs> okay that's enough silliness indeed let's get down to brass tacks kevin indeed let's do it about this all right we're talking about the song dissident music written by jeff mike and stone so it's pretty much probably a jam session that they kind of were jamming on they're kind of like okay yeah cool this is this works this is a song and then ed came in and wrote the lyrics and uh, they first played the song on May on the at the May thirteenth Slims show in San Francisco, and mm -hmm. the single was the fourth single from Verses, and it was released on May sixteenth, nineteen ninety four. At least that is the import version that they released overseas, and it was a part of a three CD set. It it was basically like a like a bootleg. It was like their first live bootleg that they released. Yeah, the first sort of official bootleg uh, was the uh, April third, nineteen ninety four, Fox Theater Atlanta show, and they just mm -hmm. left off a couple songs that they didn't have out yet because they had already had leftover songs that they were going to put onto Vitology. So if you had all three right. of those. CDs, you would have everything except for Whipping, Better Man, Satan's Bed, and Sonic Reducer. Mm -hmm. And the they did release the first part of that single in the United States a year or so after that as part of the cheaper-than-the-identical-import version line of when they released everything like that in, uh, in thick CD cases, not in the slim lines that, like, everything else was... Uh, all the import singles and stuff were right. but yeah so if you wanted the other ones you'd have to get the actual imports of uh part two and three yeah and i also read that there were some versions of the import single that didn't include dissident yeah the um parts two and three didn't have dissident on it because on the um 
on the main CD, on CD number one, it has Dissident, the album version, as the first song. And then it's got the first six songs of the concert on there. Right. And then on parts two and three, it just had mm-hmm. the songs from the concert. So you, if you wanted to hear Dissident, then you were right. shit out of luck because it was only on part one. Right. Which is an odd thing to do, but I guess that that's kind of what Pearl Jam does, right? <laughs> they do odd things. Yeah, to, to, to not have the song that the single is of... I bought this because I wanted Dissident, and the the CD doesn't have it on there, yeah. and it's called the Dissident single. What the hell? Yeah. You gotta you gotta find the other ones. Yeah, it's like an Easter egg hunt. Yeah, and the part one for it came in like this four fold out uh, digipack case that parts two and three you would like take out of the slimline case, and then you'd put it in there, and they had stickers of um, what songs were on each of those. And then you would like peel off the sticker and put it onto the blank sort of sides of that uh, fold out case. And it's like, okay, cool. This is what songs are on this CD. This is all songs are on this CD. I could throw away those slimline things. And I have the whole pack of those three CD things all together in one thing. That sounds actually really cool. I didn't realize that they had done that with this. Yeah. (laughs) That's it's, it's, I think probably the most notable thing about this one, well, not that the song isn't good. I mean, it's it right. was just like the a, a super weird sort of okay. That's definitely a Pearl Jam thing to do mm-hmm. that they uh, that they did this, and I think you know it. It was I think part of the um hmm. What am I thinking of? I don't know because yeah, because all the other singles for verses, "Go" is the only one that had sort of like alternate or uh, um, B-side tracks on it. Everything else had like live songs on it. And um, in ten, "Oceans" was the only single to have live songs on it. Before that, all the other ones had uh, had right. B-sides on it. And then after that, right, the sort of standard record company way of yeah. doing things. And then. Um, or at least like the European single stuff that they do. It's like, oh, let's throw B-sides on it for, you know, England and Europe and everything like that. It's kind of like, okay, cool, yeah. United States, ha ha, F you. Oh, mm-hmm. which was, I think, a super 80s, 90 things, 80s, 90s thing to do because, you know, they don't have, you know, they don't release CD singles anymore, for one, but they also kind of B-sides, eh, no, put it all onto the album or... Uh, so, so yeah, so it's a weird single in that sense, mm-hmm. um, and I really do think that it was kind of like their first, like it was the pre live on two legs, and mm-hmm. live on two legs, of course, was the pre official bootleg. So it it is the in a sense it's the origin story of Pearl Jam's long tradition of recording and distributing live shows. Yeah. And that show, that show was mixed by Brendan O'Brien as well, right? Let me look it up. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes as well. I don't know why I'm looking online. I could just look at my CDs. Uh, yes, they were mixed by Brendan O'Brien. It was part of a uh, a radio broadcast that they did, similar to like yeah. Monkey Wrench Radio and uh, Self Pollution Radio and stuff that they did after that. I think they had one more um, concert that they broadcast uh, before that before before this one um but this isn't a podcast about concerts you would have to listen to live on four legs to get that information but of course you would yes and and i am not a friend of that podcast yet so 
No, you're an enemy. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say enemy. Oh, okay. I was going to say like like a dissident against that podcast would be oh. like that. Yeah, you see, I'm, I'm bringing it back around, Brandon. This is why I'm a friend yeah. of your podcast. <laughs> no, it's because you've been on a certain number of oh, times. Is... You've crossed the threshold. Oh, okay. Congratulations. <laughs> when do I get the free t-shirt? Oh, I got a DVD if you want. You got uh, Pearl Jam 20 and you want it? Uh, I got an extra you... one. I've got that on Netflix, bro. Like, I don't... Is that on DVD. Netflix in Europe? It, it was. I, I watched it this summer. Oh, it was cool. either on Netflix or Prime. I didn't pay for it. I know that. Well, you paid for the subscription. Well, yeah. Yeah, you always got to pay for it. You always got to pay one way or another. Ass, gas, or grass. That's right. And I, I, in this case, I chose ass because I sat on my <laughs> ass and watched Pearl Jam. <laughs> but uh, this song, uh, we talked a little bit before about this song and sort of what it at least mm -hmm. lyrically sort of meant to you before you read and was like oh i was <laughs> i was kind of wrong about that yeah um, not kind of i was completely wrong about it like i totally <laughs> whiffed on what this song was about and now that i know listening to the lyrics i was like oh how did i miss that <laughs> and when i read the lyrics it's uh something completely different hmm yeah so i you know i'll i'm gonna put my hand up i'm gonna click the little button here and i will admit <laughs> <laughs> that i was probably wrapped up in the songs around it you know like daughter mm -hmm. and animal and i assumed that the dissident in this song was a a a victim of abuse or rape that was dissenting mm -hmm. against that oppression by turning her abuser into the cops. Oh. That was that was the interpretation I got from listening to the words. Mm -hmm. And then I actually looked it up and read the words and I was like, oh, okay, that kind of fits. Until I read Eddie Vedder's quote where he literally says, like, no, that's not it. It was about a literal dissident that a woman was uh, presumably a yeah, it was hiding and that she couldn't take the pressure of that secret and turned him in and then had to live with the guilt of having turned him in. Although to my to to my credit, the holy no line does sort of refer to rape. Yes. At a Because uh, he says that that sort of uh, references basically consent and no means no. So I don't know if that was sort of his, because I don't know where that fits into the song then at that point, or if that was sort of like, that's what that specific phrase means to him outside of the song. Because if you insert that bit of um, interpretation into the storyline of the song of this woman hiding this dissident, then it's sort of like, where does that fit into the story? Because it doesn't really seem like if 
this person she's hiding like raped her or something, then why she she wouldn't feel bad about doing that, at least the, from what the lyrics portray that she's uh, remorseful and, you know, feels like she did the wrong thing. Yeah, and I think I think there's probably two ways that could go. I think that the the traditional answer would be like the holy no was wasn't so much saying no to rape as it was saying saying no to a relationship beyond like I'm just here to help you. And 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 I think that that's that is a, a sort of deeper dynamic to this song is that mm-hmm. a lot of times in popular culture especially in the free world you sort of paint these dissidents as like holy people who are all about the cause but there's there's this implication in that in that first verse that this is a guy and he's like yeah he's got these political beliefs and he's putting his life on the line but he's still a dude who wants to get with this cute chick and she's she's put in a position where she has you know she's through her presumably through her entire relationship with this dissident always had to say yes to him yes i'll house you yes i'll feed you yes i'll keep it secret but no i don't want to take our relationship beyond that and that i think is the holy no um and so that in a sense would have been an additional pressure on top of you know just the pressure of keeping that secret in an authoritarian authoritarian state would have been the additional Mm -hmm. pressure of having to be around this guy all the time that you've turned down the other way you could look at that is that, yeah, maybe he did, you know, do something, at least abuse her kindness, if not go all the way towards rape. And that, you know, she, that that might have been the prompt for her to turn him in, but that in hindsight, she feels like the cause was more important than what she sacrificed mm-hmm. and that she regrets having turned him in, even though it meant her giving up some of her agency yeah no i know that there was because there's something that's not um it's not stockholm syndrome it's something else where it's sort of like if you are if you're if you're stuck with somebody then you feel an affinity to them and it's sort of like you know it's 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 not stockholm syndrome it's something else damn it so so when you first heard the song, you knew what dissident was, right? You knew what a dissident was. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Was that because you were in honors uh, English classes? Probably. I don't. I, yes, because I had no idea. I'm not sure where I would have heard the word otherwise. Probably in like discussions of Animal Farm or something in, in English class. Nope. Uh, I had to go. I had to go to the dictionary to look it up. Yeah. Webster's defines dissident as disagreeing, especially with an established religious or political system, organization, or belief. Mm-hmm. So that's out of the way. <laughs> yeah, and it's a fairly new idea. The first first instances of the word were only in the nineteenth century, eighteenth century. Hey now. And they were and they were mostly used in a religious context to refer to people who dissented against the state-sponsored religion in whatever country they were in. Way to go. Bringing in the uh, the facts. See? I, yeah, there you go. I, I was going to say, like, in America now, you hear a song about, like, 
dissidents against an authoritarian state in 1992 and it feels it feels all so naive Mm -hmm. but i was thinking about this because i was thinking about like okay where would ed have even gotten an idea like this and i started i started thinking about contemporary music of the time and there was definitely I think in the early nineties, mm-hmm. a response to Reagan Bush era as as mild as Reagan Bush era policy feels now, like there was definitely you know, you look at REM's Automatic for the People album, you look at Fuck the Police by NWA, there was there was a, a general mm-hmm. sort of movement within within popular music in the early nineties that was you know resisting authority and resisting you know what people perceived then as government authoritarianism so while it feels naive today i don't think it was out of place in its time yeah i I think that at least i don't know in, in context with the time i think the most the the issues that it could have most sort of spoke to possibly were maybe like abortion rights and stuff like that. Like seeing that sort of conservative people in government are trying to erode those rights and stuff like that. You know, even, even back then kids, mm-hmm. um, and, or, um, LGBTQ as yeah, well. Exactly. Where those, those seem like the big sort of things that one could easily, I mean, just, you know, those are the things that came up in my mind. Those seems like the most obvious things. Um, at least things that, that stuck out. I think that this whole album sort of speaks more to the unease of, you know, being young and trying to find yourself in the world on where on one side you have, you know, people saying this is the way that it, that everything is and you have to act this way and, you know, this is the truth. And then there's also sort of like a, well, that's not really the way how we got to here that's not really the 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 story behind everything you have like the a countercultural sort of of uh leftovers from mm-hmm. the 70s sort of coming back and sort of a pushing back of hey you know what things aren't as great as everybody's telling us you know there's there's got to be more to to what's going on i think i want to find my own way and and find my own tribe and 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 sort of break free from whatever shackles of society is is placing on me man right well and that was you know another contemporary album to this one was rage against machines first album which is basically full of that sentiment i mean there was in with rage Mm -hmm. against machine there's some racial undertones as well that pearl jam wouldn't have really had to deal with but there's still that sort of sentiment of that there was something very wrong with the way society was structured and there was a need to dissent against it among the young people. Mm-hmm. And if only they had succeeded, if only they had won then. <laughs> Before I, I, I get into something that, that I want to say for a little later, um, this song for me was seriously right. overplayed. In my experience, they it was played all the time on radio, and I think that since this is a mid-tempo, you know, it's kind of like ah, uh, it's like a little bit of rock, but it's not really 
sort of 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 getting you there over the you know over over the precipice you know it's just sort of like eh, kind of almost there that the fact that it was played so much was soured me on it well i hope i don't offend anyone by saying this but it could have easily been a creed song Like, like you could have just popped that on any I don't know any Creed albums so I can't name one but like if you just popped that on a Creed album no one would have ever known the difference you know that sort of mm-hmm. mid-tempo all the trappings of rock without actual any rock with a catchy guitar solo and an easy yeah. chorus to sing yeah because I, I think that with pretty much every other song on verses it has you know a bunch of of up energy or it has you know a down energy and this one is squarely in the middle you know it's it's adult oriented rock you know it's it's something even the boss can like well you you could definitely see you know if you put yourself in the shoes of a record label executive why you would want this track to be a single and why it would have gotten so much radio airplay yeah, because you can play it on the alternative stations. You can play it on the mainstream mm-hmm. stations. You can put it anywhere, man. Yeah, 97.7 The Breeze coming to you live this morning with a little <laughs> Pearl Jam. We've got the new single dissident coming up at you after the break. But first, we got the weather and traffic on the 10s. We know they don't do it on the 10s. Damn it. On the 7s. Yeah, yeah, always on the 7s because it's 97.7 The Breeze. Oh, hey, good job. Your, uh, your uh, radio yeah. programming experiences coming through my wife worked in radio man oh yeah that's right (laughs) and i was i was in a radio studio once (laughs) (laughs) so was i (laughs) i was so drunk (laughs) but that's for another time that's for another podcast i think i put that out on a listen up podcast yeah that's that's for no podcast ever is what that's for How how do you what's your impression musically of this song then because that, that that's that's sort of how I have felt about it until I just started thinking about it more as as you know was getting ready to make the uh, the episode and reading a little bit about it and sort of taking a look at where this song fits in today. I sort of have a different feeling about it than I had you know as it was just uh, the sort of blah song Mm -hmm. on the album that you know i don't want to listen to at all that when i made the mixtape of combining uh 10 and verses so that you know i could have it all together in one i left out dissident because it just so overplayed right yeah you you could just turn on the radio at any given time and hear it you didn't need it on tape but musically i mean it's it's a very stone-ish kind of vamp and it, like like you mentioned, the first live performance of it mm-hmm. was in 92, so it would have been in the era where Stone was more the leader of the band. And and I got, you know, that even though Mike's, Mike's sort of lead, Mike's melody, really stands out on the track, 
you can really feel if you listen to it with headphones on and listen to that <laughs> rhythm part you can really feel Stone's sort of jangle pop influence on the track um, the bass is fat because the bass is also always fat yeah. because Jeff demands that the bass is fat yeah I think it sounds like fretless I can't be sure I couldn't find anything about it, it on there it, it does sound that way and I've I, I was trying to remember if I've ever seen it live, and I actually had to look up because um, in one of your earlier podcasts you mentioned the app you use, um, and so I looked. I actually downloaded the app. I forgot the name now, but I downloaded the app to look up to put in the the concerts I've been to and look up if I've seen Dissonant, mm-hmm. and I've not seen it live yet. And I think seven or eight concerts. So I couldn't tell you from a live perspective whether Jeff plays a fretless in it, but you're right; it does sound fretless. But it's—I mean, it's—it's a well-crafted song. It's well put together, and the interesting thing they do musically in it is that Stone and Mike are playing sort of um, call and response melodies through the verse, where you'll hear kind of Stone's guitar play something, and then Mm -hmm. Mike's guitar play something, and then Stone's, and then Mike's, rather than them playing kind of an intertwining melody, they're more sort of responding to each other through that verse. And that's an interesting thing to do musically in a pop song, and to just kind of hide that in the back of the mix is is a very pop radio thing to do with a song. And the fact that that Mike just kind of noodles through the whole thing rather than waiting for a solo and rocking out is interesting as well. Yeah. And I, I said this about, uh, on, on, on the last episode, like glorified G it's got that bridge part where it's sort of like, Oh, if it just had like a little bit more distortion, it'd be like kind of metal. It was like, it's like, And it, it, it is very, it does have the sort of 90s rock sort of dynamic build into it that um, I think, you know, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit and uh, Smashing Pumpkins sort of popularized and were always given huge credit for. It's got that in there because it, lit, lit, you know, lets off the gas during the verses and stuff. And mm-hmm. like I said, then you have that interplay and then, you know, when in the choruses, it builds and then you get that uh you get the melody you get mike playing the lead line through it and it's kind of go oh okay yeah and it, it and and i think that that composition of the song the way that it does that it does lend itself a whole lot more to being a popular poppy sort of song that you know of course is why it's being played on the radio a whole bunch and it also helps that it's a really straightforward verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus song yeah they don't do anything sort of surprising in that sense which we know they're capable of if we listen to the other songs on this album they just kind of didn't in this case i think it's because it's got the it's definitely got the feel of like i said in the beginning that you know this was something that they sort of wrote as a jam they kind of you know you get the feeling that you know stone kind of had this riff 
And then Mike was kind of like, oh, okay, I can get something on that. And, you know, Jeff was kind of like, oh, here, let's have this change here when we go into the bridge. And, you know, let's, you know, do this when, you know, Mike was like, okay, here, I got my lead line. Here's the melody. It kind of goes through there. And it's sort of like was something that, you know, Stone was probably just playing the one riff mm-hmm. over and over again of the verse until they all sort of found their own parts and, and found how they wanted the song to to go how to flow you know of course you know on this album everybody has the writing credits but you know yeah i don't i as much as i respect dave abruzzese as a abruzzese i I still don't know how to say that guy's name (laughs) dave a's drums i never felt like he was as compositionally involved in the band as like a matt cameron is or a jack irons was well he he wrote go and angel did he write go? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yep, that he wrote that on an acoustic guitar, uh, I think, while they were camping or something cool. like that. So that's the musical sort of side to it. Okay. And lyrically, I like we, we were talking about the sort of storyline to it and everything. And like I said, like there there it seemed that at least in that time, there wasn't really a, the, the, you would have to make inferences as to what the relation to current times or what he could be talking about. You know, maybe it's sort of like, oh, it's, you know, thinking about, you know, maybe sort of World War II or something, you know, is, is, is what I think about, you know, trying to hide people from the Nazis and stuff because, you know, that's, if you're going to go, go big, go for the, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that, 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 the Anne Frank analogy is probably the easiest inference to make, but that sort of, that sort of idea I think is the easiest sort of thing to picture for us when we think of, of, of hiding a dissident. I think maybe the main thing that you can get out of this now, or at least maybe what he sort of hoped people would get from it, or, or, you know, maybe people just did get from it, you know, at the time, you know, without having any sort of other historical or um, just having any other context for other events outside of just what was going on then, or even not having to have anything go on. Is that the right thing to do is most likely the hard thing to do. Yeah, I think that that's that's probably because when when you see and I looked up a couple of interviews, there's not much out there. But the couple of times that Ed's talked about what the song's about, the part that he focuses on is the regret Mm -hmm. that the female character in the song felt after having turned him in and having to deal with, you know, like she she ends up having to face the conflict herself but but feels this sort of emptiness that like she had a chance to do something already and has already sort of failed yeah and i think that goes along with you know escape is never the safest path where you think if running away from the fight if sort of going along with the flow is going to make everything easy okay and safe for you in the long run all it's going to do is encourage fascism you know it's gonna just make the status quo and make the bad stuff get that much more entrenched than standing up with other people saying hey you know we gotta we gotta change stuff we gotta you know we gotta we gotta do what's right right absolutely i think that's that's definitely 
I mean, I, I can't speak for Ed in this case, but I, my feeling is that that's definitely the sentiment he was going for with this is that you've got to, you've got to face, you know, evil before, like as soon as possible, because every, every moment that you wait and put it off, it's not going to go away. It's only going to get stronger. Yeah. And, and I think also to that, one of the hardest things for a human to experience is to be alone or no, no, not necessarily be alone, but to feel lonely because you can be physically alone, you know, a- away from people, but feel like you're still, you know, part of a group. It's kind of like, oh, I'm just away from my family right now. I got them. I got friends, family mm-hmm. waiting for me at home. I'm just away right now. But, you know, we need other people. And, you know, the longer that you are physically also in isolation, the more you are going to feel alone, too. I mean, that's why it's one of the worst punishments, you know, getting thrown in solitary confinement because you, you know, even, you know, there's you you need other people around you you need to belong in some way and i think that being young you know you're trying you're always trying to find a way to belong and you know you got punk music and so, you know it happens a lot with music and i mean you know punk music and stuff kind of like that is kind of like oh yeah yeah you know let's get energized let's you know yeah 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 it's kind of let's let's dress up this certain way maybe or right. you know you know thinking about like the Ramones and Sex Pistols and stuff like that. It's kind of like, oh yeah, damn the man, you know, the old people don't know anything. Mm -hmm. It's all about us. We're young. We're going to be in charge of everything nowadays. And, you know, even, you know, pop music and dance music and stuff kind of like that. It's it's like, oh, you know, there's people I'm attracted to that also like this music and we like to dance and I get to rub up against them. So, oh yeah, that's how you get, you know, around people like that too. Even if it's not ideological, it's chemical and physical. (laughs) Yeah. And there's, there's goth kids and, anime kids Mm -hmm. and naruto runners who are going to invade area 51 like there's always sort of thing (laughs) that's that people will gravitate towards because there's other people doing it and it makes them feel like they're part of of something yeah and i think nowadays one of the nefarious sort of things going on is uh sort of white supremacy white nationalism and uh, mm-hmm. I know you're in Germany and maybe you shouldn't be talking about this sort of stuff out loud, but, you know, you, you got your Alexa now, so uh, it's recording you or it's listening, but uh, uh, the gov- right. at least the government isn't, right? <laughs> yeah, but even, you know, like, and it, it's as much a problem. Well, I shouldn't say it's as much a problem here as, as it is in the States. It is an epidemic in the States and it's a serious issue as as serious as ISIS ever was mm-hmm. and it's something that that needs to be dealt with but even here in Germany there's you know there's the political party AFD um that are pretty open about what are pretty radical ideas about about race in society and even further from them there is a politically active it's not a political party but it's a politically active sort of organization called Pegida that is as close to openly being Nazi as you can legally be in Germany. And I I thank God or whatever someone wants to believe in every day that Germany, that there's enough intrinsic memory about what happened in the 1940s in this country, that there is a daily struggle to not allow them to ever feel mainstream. And there's there's some great stories that come out of that in Germany. There's a town in former East Germany 
where Pegida had organized a death metal festival, a, a sort of white supremacist death metal festival. Mm-hmm. And the town and a couple of neighboring towns organized and, and brought all their money together and bought all of the beer available in the area so that their festival couldn't get any beer. And, oh. and because there was no beer, no one came to the festival. And they've done this like three years in a row. <laughs> um, there's been other stories where Pegida has tried to organize rallies in town centers and citizens because, you know, it's Germans, Germany's constitution was based on the U.S. constitution mm-hmm. when it was rewritten in 1947. And so they have the freedom to assemble built in like America does. But there's a process to apply for a permit to follow a legal process to assemble just like there is in America. And so what these towns where Pegida is trying to organize these rallies, these towns, the private citizens will apply for permits to hold rallies on every single available date in the year just to keep Pegida from getting an available date to hold the rally. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I live in a country where those ideas are nowhere near mainstream and there's still active effort to, to prevent them from becoming mainstream, to prevent them from having, having a voice and an influence. And I feel like as an outsider looking in, like this is something that, that America needs to deal with and deal with quickly because mm-hmm. it's, it's not becoming violent. It is like people are getting shot. People are dying because of this idea. And if people don't stand up now, it's only going to get stronger. And then they're going to feel the regret of letting it happen the way that the protagonist in this song feels the regret of, of letting a dissident get dragged away. Yeah. I'll hear people. They're usually, you know, white people, but I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if listeners know, but I, I am a white adjacent latinx uh person <laughs> i guess is probably the the the, the best way to put it a white adjacent but um yeah yeah uh, people will say you know the real problem is you got both sides and they just yell and they don't listen and okay that's that you know mm-hmm. two people if they're yelling at each other saying you're bad no you're bad okay that that is you know a bad thing nobody's going to do anything nobody's going to listen to each other because they you know, they 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 just don't get along and everything. And then it's easy for the third person that's seeing that to say, you know, if they would just talk to each other, not yell, then they can listen right. to what each other has to say, and you know, everything we better be able to get stuff done. You know, logically, you know, if you're to diagram that out and to you know write the equations down, that you know makes mm-hmm. sense on the surface and everything. But when you have, you know, one person saying. I have the right to exist. And then the other person saying, no, you don't. And that's sort of like, okay, that's basically a threat to me. So I need to stand up for myself. And so I'm going to start yelling. And then the other person saying, I really don't think you have the right to exist. And I'm going to tell you at every single turn and, you know, try to do all I can to, get you Mm -hmm. to leave or to stop existing a person then saying you both need to just calm down and get along that person is not on 
is not being in the middle. That person mm -hmm. has taken a side. They've taken a, the side of the oppressor at that point. They're saying, hey, you who's saying, no, I want to live, you need to settle down and, you know, listen to what this person has to say. And kind of like, okay, right. fine, whatever. You obviously aren't on my side. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I see because I, I read a lot of, a lot of news. I wouldn't say a lot. I read a fair amount of news about what's going on in America because, you know, I still have friends and family there and I care. And I also end up getting caught in the hell that is comment sections. <laughs> and I, I always see this same interaction where someone says something that is blatantly racist and then someone says, well, I'm not going to listen to you. You're just a racist. And then the racist person says, oh, that's what you always do. You just shut down debate by calling someone a racist. And it's like, no, that's not shutting down debate. That's making an argument. You are actually factually a racist. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you call someone that, you're name calling. And it like, like how do you move forward from that? When when you can't objectively say like no this person actually actually is a racist and like if we're going to be a society that includes all humans then we can't be racist and we can't be misogynist and we can't be transphobic or homophobic and a ageist I guess damn millennials <laughs> yeah I I don't know I. Boomers make me kind of want to be ageist. <laughs> I mean, maybe Ed, when he wrote this, didn't have anything that serious to complain about in his time. But I think that that sentiment is timeless. The idea that that you have to stand up and fight. And I, I kind of joked like, oh man, if only people had listened to him then. But seriously, if people had, had listened to him then and had nipped a lot of this in the bud, would we be dealing with or would America be dealing with the the white supremacist problem it has now? Well, I th I think uh, I, I, I was listening to an interview with uh, Rob Evans, who is a um, oh, what's he called a conflict journalist who's been to Syria and covered a bunch of uh, stuff that's going on around there. Mm -hmm. And he's also done a lot of work um, on white supremacy in the United States. And he was saying that um, there was an organization, a, a white nationalist mm -hmm. terrorist organization in the early mid 80s that uh, robbed a bunch of banks. And, you know, when you get a lot of money and you're that kind of person, when you're, you know, those kind of people, you buy guns, which they did. And the FBI was able to get uh, most of them, I believe. Uh, they also bought computers. They bought Apple IIe's. And they set up and they, they made computer networks in like Oregon and Idaho and other places. Wow. And so these white supremacists were able to talk to each other on the internet before there was an internet. Mm -hmm. And so then once the actual internet came around, they were pros at it. And so they have been working and simmering and doing all this stuff for a long time. And and so all this sort of recruitment and 8chan and memes and, you know, shit posting and, and all this other sort of stuff that's that's happening is because they've been honing it 
for this long and they know what they're doing. So I think, you know, even if, you know, we all listen to Pearl Jam, then I think this stuff would still be, <laughs> would, would still be happening. Yeah, no, you're probably, you're probably right. But then that, that raises the question, like, like I assume, and maybe this is a bad assumption or maybe not. I assume most Pearl Jam listeners are like me because I, I'm a human and I assume that everyone thinks like I do. <laughs> exactly. Which is what everybody thinks. Right. But I, but I also assume, you know, if you're listening to Pearl Jam that Eddie and, and the rest of the band have made sort of no secret about their political leanings, that, that that's at least had some influence on you and that you, you lean that direction, you know, not white supremacist. And so I assume your listeners, what the hell was I saying? Fuck, I've had too much whiskey. Uh, <laughs> but Have another drink. That'll help you refresh your memory. It'll give you time yeah. to think. Um, no, I assume I assume that we're all sort of on the, okay, and white supremacy is a problem and it needs to be stopped side. And if they aren't yet, they are now because they've not, they're not, those people aren't listening to your podcast anymore, Brandon. <laughs> because of the announcement I made on a couple episodes ago, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and if that wasn't enough, this sure as hell is. Um But the I mean I guess the the question is like, okay, we're gonna take the lesson from this song. We're gonna say, okay, we're gonna stand up now and not later. Like how now? Like what is there left to do to save America or to save the world even? Because it's not just America, you know, it's happening in Brazil, it's happening in, in the UK and Hungary in Poland. Like how how do we stand up to this? I mean, yeah, if if it was at the point where it's hiding people in your attic to keep the government from getting to them happily, I'd I'd do that no question. But it's not at that point, and I hope it doesn't get to that point. And how do I keep it from getting to that point? I think is is the existential crisis our generation as Pearl Jam fans now faces. Well, you know, that's the purpose of this podcast is to solve. <laughs> right? Right, oh, wait, yeah. No, wait, no, yes. that's not. Uh, here, hold on. Let me take a look at my note. No, wait, no, that's not it. Oh, crap. Yeah. No, I think, I, you know, you just have to not, I think, be blind to it. You got to, you know, even if somebody makes an inappropriate joke, you know, just kind of says like, yeah, that's not cool. You know, as funny as it is, yeah, that's not cool. But usually it's mm-hmm. not funny. Usually the laughter is uncomfortability, right. being, being uncomfortable. And it's not a ha-ha reaction. It's a what? Mm-hmm. No reaction. And, you know, and be like, ah, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't really think, oh, no, they're going to find me out. But, you know, you got to be like, nah, nah. No, that's cool. That's not what people are supposed to be like. And I I think another thing, too, is, you know, I mean, I think a huge impulse is to say, it's like, oh, you know what? There's a lot of uh, bad stuff going on, like, say, like on Twitter or something like that. It's like, oh, you know, there's people who are being abusive and, you know, it's just all trolling and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm just going to leave it. And I think once you leave those spaces, that makes room for you're conceding yeah and that makes room for those people to you know entrench themselves more 
And I think that wherever right to be to be unopposed in those spaces. Yeah, wherever there's a good spot and it's a spot you want to be in, you know, just you know, you have these connections, you have this community, you know, like I mean, if there are bad people on the Pearl Jam forum or something like that, you know, it's kind of like, oh no, this is a good place. This is a place that I like. I want to stay here. And there are other people who like it too. And I feel some sort of community and I'm not going to let my community be destroyed by leaving here and there. You know, it's, 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 it's like white flight, you know, just like, oh, well, I'm going to get out of this because these people Mm -hmm. I don't want are here. It's like, no, you got to stay and be like, okay, Hey, you may not be the nicest person, but if you're here, you're going to have to follow the rules or, you know, you're going to leave. And maybe somebody who's trying to push someone away because they don't feel like they belong. And so they want to punish everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, you don't like me. Uh, well, I'm going to make sure you don't really like me so that, you know, I'm in control of you rejecting me as opposed to you being in control of not liking me. Being like, okay, well, no, if, if, if you're here, you're going to be here and this is a community and you got to be part of the community. And if you aren't an asshole to people, then you can be a part of this community and we'll welcome you in and it'll be all cool. And you'll see that you can have friends here and that you can belong Mm -hmm. and you don't have to go be bad or do all that other stuff for attention. You can be like, Oh, I have something to contribute because I am a person just like all of you. And there isn't anything special about all of you. You just like being together and you like being cool. You like doing the same stuff, eating the good, eating good food, listening to good music. I want to be part of that too. Hell with them. Let's, let's go. I don't know. Yeah. No. And, and I think that the Pearl Jam community is an excellent example of that. Like I, I consider myself pretty liberal now, but I wasn't always that way. And I remember um, when you and I uh, went and followed them on the Riot Act tour, I cringed every time they played Bush Leaguer because I was I was pro Bush. I voted for him twice, and I regret those votes now. But at the time, I thought I was making the right decision. I thought I was doing what was right for the country. Mm-hmm. And despite that feeling, despite being against what most Pearl Jam fans believe, despite being against what I assume five fifths of the band felt about Bush. I was still like, like no one ever said like, Oh, if you don't like that song, you can't come to a Pearl Jam show. Or if you don't like that song, you can't be a fan. Like I was still welcomed. I was still a part of the Pearl Jam community. And that was a part of me growing and understanding more sides of the issue and, and reaching the point where I am now, where I, I, am more accepting of other ideas and I, I'm more on that liberal side. And so maybe you're right. Maybe maybe Pearl Jam is our timeline's wild stallions. And if everyone would just like like listen to Pearl Jam, man, and like really listen, then the world would just be a better place and George Carlin would still be alive. <laughs> so Kevin, I think we've we've veered wildly off course than what anybody could have predicted yeah. this episode would be about but i think it all fits somehow dissident is a song about politics and so it's hard to talk about it without talking about politics so i don't 
I don't feel bad about what we've done here. Uh, neither do I. I guess I guess I needed to say that. Did I need to say that? Yeah. Probably not. You did. You did need to say that. You needed to affirm to myself. House, yeah, to house your personal dissident, and to not turn them into the government metaphorically. Yes, if that makes sense. I'm going to trust that it does, because you are smarter than me in some ways, Kevin. <laughs> well, like, uh, I, <laughs> I think that I've killed enough brain cells now. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I was like, uh, I think my, I think my college degree says different. Brandon. It's like a race to the bottom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> no, I'm, I am erasing that college degree one drink at a time. Uh, is there, is there stuff that we need to check out, Kevin? Good stuff. Besides maybe giving the song a, uh, another chance if we felt that it was uh, it was overplayed, which I, I, I think that people need to maybe sort of look at the world right now and, and take a listen and, and maybe sort of try to forget it being played over and over and over and over again. And sort of like, oh, you know what? This is, this is pretty better than okay song. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far to say, I, I definitely wouldn't say a great song. But it's 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 a pretty good it song. Is. I think I can I can say that now. I've changed my mind. It it sits about thirty on their their live performance list as far as number of times it's been performed live, and that's probably about the right place. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a top ten song, but it's not a a bottom ten song by any means. No, yeah, and yeah, people should you know put on your two thousand nineteen glasses and and give this song another look. And maybe give give the band a little credit for seeing seeing into the future and seeing something happening that that in nineteen ninety two we wouldn't have ever imagined coming. Ninety three. Three. That we wouldn't <laughs> in nineteen ninety three have ever imagined coming. There, that's a good take. You can take that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Kev. I'll have you back since you're yeah. a friend of the podcast now and I guess you're contractually obligated to uh come back on a certain number of more times yet to be determined and in order to be released from your contract you will need to uh pay me out a amount of money to be determined later. Right. Yeah, no, I feel like now I've got to get a Twitter account just so that I can tweet out stuff about your <laughs> podcast and like get in Twitter fights with people who don't like it. Is that a thing in Pearl Jam forums? Like are there <laughs> anti Pearl Jam podcast trolls? No, I think all the negative stuff usually on the Pearl Jam forums is just people saying, uh, I want them to release a new album or I want my Christmas singles that I have been waiting for for a couple years now um, and their new stuff isn't as good as their old stuff. Right. Well, okay. So considering all that, you're wrong. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I want them to play Munich. They played Berlin last year, and it was Berlin's just too far to go, because I'm old and lazy. I want them to play <laughs> Munich. If they if they could play Munich, I'm gonna be happy. And other than that, yeah, no, give this song a listen, and uh, and you know, reach out to someone in your community who you think might feel left out, and let them know that that they are a part of your community and that you're there for them. Whether they deserve it or not, because love isn't about deserve, love is about love.
The Better Band Podcast is produced by ListenUpReno.com and Brandon Palomo and published using a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Please visit creativecommons.org or email listenupreno at gmail.com for more details. All music played is owned by the respective publishers and copyright holders and is reproduced for review purposes only under fair use. You can subscribe to the Better Band Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or from shoutengine.com slash thebetterbandpodcast using your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ListenUpReno. I am on Twitter at BrandENP. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, send an email to betterbandpod at gmail.com or send any insights and stories you'd like to share and I'll read them on the season finale episode. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Kevin, and as always, this is Brandon saying, Although there is no change in my patrician facade, I can assure you, my heart is breaking.